was beautiful. Morning again. Kind of a skeleton crew, so you're going to see me a lot. That's all right. <laughs> I am privileged. Uh, one of the things that I think that really sustains my faith is I have a number of uh, people, a couple mentors in my life, and, and they say they, they pray for me daily. You know, I'm praying for you, pray for you daily. You know, but I, 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 one of my struggles is I never really get to hear those prayers. You know, I know, they're, I know they're praying. I know they pray daily, but I never really get to hear the, the substance of those prayers, and that's okay. That's okay. This is what we get, though, today in, as in our reading, which is going to be from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Imagine someone praying for you. Imagine Jesus praying for you, but you get to hear his prayer. This is the context of John, chapter 17. It's Jesus' prayer, and he's praying for the disciples, but he's also praying uh, for us. So we're going to review part of this prayer. It's, it's, a, it's a couple of chapters. We're going to view a section of this prayer and hear Jesus ache in his heart for us and as we continue to live out uh, his, faith, our, his faith in him in this, this world. Uh, so I'm going to read verses 6 through 19, John chapter 17, 6 through 19. It's on the screen in front of you. Uh, let me pray before we encounter God's word. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the strength behind him that we get to sit right now at the feet of Jesus and hear his prayer over us. What a gift that is. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for inspiring these words and protecting them all those many centuries that the, the words that we read this morning are, are the same words that were penned by hand so long ago. Speak to us fresh today by your Spirit. We open ourselves up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This is John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. Jesus praying, saying, I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one, just as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them in your name that you have given me. I guarded them, and not one of them was lost, except for the one destined to be lost, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I speak these things in the world so that they may have my joy complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, so that they may be sanctified in truth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks. I'm continuing this, this kind of one-off series, tagging it on to our, our teaching series we just finished called Humble Hope. Humble Hope was a tour through the two letters of the Thessalonian church, First and Second Thessalonians. Those teachings are online. I really encourage you to, to listen to them. They're really great if you happen to catch any of them or just a few of them. They're online. You can listen to them right now. Um, but this idea of humble hope in today's world is a theme that I wanted to carry over into this particular reading because it fits as Paul had ministered to the Thessalonian church and then had departed and sent a letter back to them. Same with Jesus. He had ministered with the disciples. He had poured his heart out to them, walked with them for three years. But he's getting ready to depart, and these are his, his parting words, his parting prayer over them. So I'm going to break into that prayer a little bit more and see how it speaks to us today. But let me recognize, first of all, the obvious this week. School has begun, and uh, for some of you, maybe you're just about to start. I know Hinsdale is getting ready to start this week. A couple other school districts have already begun. And what, are the, what an amazing, weird season this is. You know, it was one thing that school was kind of interrupted. And first of all, it just concluded the longest spring break ever, right? Because it basically felt like spring break since March. But schools have begun, and there's all new procedures to them. We have a, my wife is a, is, is a teacher in town, and you know, we have uh, two kids at a high school, two kids in middle school, one in elementary. And there's all these new procedures. I mean, some of them are going half days and then e-learning in the afternoon. Some are strictly online. Every day you have to do these health checks, kind of walk through, you know, are you okay? Do you have a fever? Are you, do you have a cough? Can you taste or smell, you know? And then if they, they pass the health tech test for our younger kids, you get a sticker and you have to put it on the appropriate day. So it's a W for Wednesday. Put the sticker on there. They got to remember the sticker. They cannot go to school without the sticker. I've had a couple run back because they forgot their sticker. And my wife said a couple kids have gotten sent home because they didn't have the sticker, okay? When they get to school, they, they line up, and there's some tents there, and administrators are bleeping foreheads with, with uh, temperature checks. Everyone, of course, has to wear masks and not share the masks, which is something we would typically do as students. And then, of course, there's all the, the e-learning and, and the different things, uh, the, the different websites and stuff they're having to navigate. Now, I say all this to just, really, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful that schools are thinking through this. I think it's still a dynamic experience. And just like church, like we're trying to figure out how do we do this and yet keep everybody safe. And so much is being done to keep our kids safe. And if the kids are safe, then the community is safe. So I can see why this is a high, high priority. But when I watched the kids adapt so quickly to these new procedures, it just reminded me that we really do have an ability to adopt new ways, new behaviors to keep ourselves safe physically. I mean, it, the irony is not lost. I look at all of your faces and I can only see your eyes. We've, we've changed. We've adopted new routines. And there's always the big three that sort of came in, in waves. And they were this. You know, the first thing we did is we, we had to relearn how to wash our hands. You remember that? Like right after the, 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 there was the uh, news of the pandemic and then suddenly we put these posters up that said, okay, here's how you wash your hands. Apparently we've been doing it wrong the whole time. Okay? So we had to adopt a new way to wash our hands. But we did it. We're learning. And, and it's good. Uh, next, we learned a new term, and this was back like in April, social distancing. And again, you, it might feel like you've, you've always had this word in your mind, you have it. It's pretty new, this concept of social distancing. Staying six feet apart and, and elbow bumping as opposed to greeting one another. And, and again, that's just something we've had to get used to, this idea of how do we, you know, keep ourselves safe, social distancing. The third one, of course, are the masks. Those came a little later. Suddenly, we're, we're sewing them all 
uh, or buying them or, you know, we forget them. Uh, I always feel like I've got a couple hanging in my closet that looks kind of weird, um, but I, you know, try to pick one that at least sort of half matches my shirt. You all look great, by the way. You know, but this is, again, behaviors we've had to adopt for the purpose of keeping ourselves safe during a time of pandemic, and it's good and it's right. But then I had to ask myself, if we're so good at adopting practices to keep ourselves physically safe, what about, what about our spiritual safety? Like, if we're so good at adopting washing hands differently and keeping six feet apart and, and wearing masks, because it's right, it helps keep us safe, what about our spiritual protection? Do we really need to think much about our spiritual health, even at this time especially? See, I think if we listen back to Jesus' prayer that I just read to you in John chapter 17, he would say yes. Yes, we, we do need to be as mindful of keeping ourselves spiritually safe as we might physically safe. It, it was true back then as he was ministering to disciples and praying over them, about to leave you. Here's some instructions for you. And it's true today. As we listen again to Jesus' prayer, we're going to hear the three ways that he's called for us prayerfully to protect ourselves spiritually at a time of pandemic and in any season as we reflect back on his reading. And then we're going to look at three really practical ways, new behaviors maybe we can adopt to help keep us spiritually safe at this time. So let's look back again at our reading, John chapter 17. I, I want to know, first of all, who is Jesus praying for? Who is Jesus praying for? Okay. So if you look at the verses 6 through 8, Jesus says, I have made your name known to those that you gave me, Father, from the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they are ones who have kept your word. And they know that everything you have given me is from you. So this is the people who have kept his word, and they know that everything that Jesus has has been given to him from the Father. And the words you gave me, Jesus gave to them, and they received these words, and they know in truth. So if you look at this passage, we can put that uh, scripture on the screen for us, please. You can see that who Jesus is talking to is the church. He's saying, I have made the name of the Lord God known to them. Well, how? Because in Jesus, we now know God personally in the person of Christ. And he says he has gathered them to himself. They are his people. This is the, the first church the disciples, the apostles, the followers of Christ. He describes these people of having kept his word, and the word, like his logos, is really the gospel, the story, which is central and precious, this idea that God loves us and had a plan to redeem us all the way from the beginning and that sending Jesus wasn't a spontaneous act. This has been the plan the whole time. So it's really the, the life and ministry of Jesus in the context of the whole story from creation and the fall and beyond. He, they have kept this story. In other words, they held on to it. They, they kept it, you know, almost like a special possession. They kept this word. They received it as truth, he says, believing that Jesus has come from God to be their Savior. That's, that's, the, sub, that's the people that Jesus is praying for here, those who have kept your word and received it as truth. Is that, is that you? Is that you? Is that us? Would you say you're one who has kept his word, you, you hold the gospel precious, 
and you receive this word as truth. I, I think so. He's really talking about the church, but there's also a personal application that I just have to stop before we go on. He's praying for you. He's praying for those who have received the gospel and said yes to Jesus. I know God in Christ. Is that you? And if it's true, I have good news for you. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for us. His heart is for us. They've kept your word. They received it as truth. Who, who are the people that Jesus is praying on behalf of? It's us. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is praying for us. Elsewhere in the text, he says, I'm not only praying for the, the disciples who are in front of me, but the ones who will come someday after them. Jesus is praying for us. This is before the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's there, and he's got you and me and this church and all the churches in his heart, and he's praying. Why is he praying at this time? Verse 9 through 11 says this, I'm asking not on their behalf, I'm also asking, not asking on the world, I'm asking on behalf of those you gave me, they're yours, all of mine are yours, yours are Yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. People get a little tripped up on those words that I'm, all of mine are yours, and yours is mine, and they're mine. You know, maybe the best way to understand that is kind of like when you, when you meet my family. I'm so proud when I get to introduce you to my wife and my kids. And I don't mean that possessively. I just mean that they are mine in my heart. I love them, and my care is for them, and I want to protect them. I'm proud of them. In the same way you hear these, that same kind of love and pride and protection in Jesus' words, they're, they're mine, and, and God, Father, you're, they're yours. In fact, we're encased, the church then would be encased in the love of God and the Father and the love of Jesus, and we are like a possession, and we're the bride of Christ, and he loves us. He's saying, no, you're mine, like, I love you, and you are mine, you're under my love, you're in my protection. But there's concern. In verse 11, he says, And now I'm no longer going to be in the world and there in the world because I'm coming back to you, Father. I'm coming to you. They're going to remain in the world. Jesus is about to depart. After 33 years and three years of earthly ministry, it's coming to a head. Again, where he is, it's, it's before the garden. He hasn't yet been arrested, but he knows it's coming. He hasn't been dragged down the streets yet, but he knows it's coming. He hasn't been beaten and flogged, but he knows it's coming. He hasn't been uh, dra dragged up the, the cross, but he knows it's coming. He has not been killed, but he knows it's coming. He hasn't been laid in the tomb, dead, but he knows it's coming. He's not going to be there. for. He's not dead for three days yet, but he knows it's coming. He has not yet walked out of the grave, but he knows it's coming. He has not yet ascended to the right hand of the Father, but he knows it's coming. He knows it's coming. So I'm coming to you, Father, through all of that, and they will remain in the world. So there's this assurance that he's talking about us. These are mine. Father, they're yours too. We love them. But I'm about to leave. And they're going to stay. And that's why he's praying for us. We have had a few occasions where my wife and I have had the opportunity to leave the kids you know, we've abandoned them. No, no, we don't. Actually, I, I tend to. I just grab my bag and walk out. Like, honey, the car's on. Let's go to the airport. Come on. She's so good about the list, though. She'll make the list. They need to have this breakfast, this for lunch. Here's uh, money to take care of this. She makes the list, right? 
every, you know, and, and I'll tell like, honey, they're going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Come on, let's go. She's like, no, no, no. I'm not done with the list. I got to make sure they're going to be okay. And I want to give whoever's caring for, we never just abandon the kids. But um, whoever's going to care for them, we try to make sure they know how to take care of them so that we can trust they're going to be okay. That's where Jesus is. I'm about to leave. I'm coming back to you, Father. Let me pray. Let me pray. Now, at this point in verse 11, his prayer shifts, and you can hear his prayer really start to lift up, really heat up, as he says, Holy Father, Holy Father, Jesus prays, protect them in your name. This is verse 11b. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me so that they will be one. Holy Father, protect them. Do you hear the concern in his words? I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to come back to you, Father. Holy Father, protect them. Protect them in your name. Before I go on into the prayer, that makes me wonder, like, what kind of protection do you think Jesus thinks we need? Like, again, the list. We know what the kids need. We know they're going to need to be fed. We know they're going to need to be on some kind of schedule. We're going to, we know they're going to need provisions. So we, we know when we ever had to, to leave someone we love what they might need. But what does Jesus think we need? Father, protect them in your name. What, what does he think we need? What is Jesus' prayer for us, the church? There's really three parts to it. And the first is this. Right in verse 11, he says, May they be one. May they be one. As I and the Father are one. In other words, that the unity of the church, the friendship, the love of the community of faith would be so intimate, they would be like one. That's a mirror of the love that God and the Father share. We would literally be a mirror of God's divine unity, that they may be one. He goes on to explain in verse 13, so that out of this oneness, they would have my joy made complete in themselves. In other words, when we experience the unity of the church, comes with it the experience of a joy of Christ that is made complete as we step in faith together. The closer we are, the more of that joy that is made complete in ourselves. If you think about it, like out of the unity and oneness we experience in the church, and let's even say our local body of the church, will that make our joy in Christ even more complete? Then I start to wonder how much of the church is really walking right now in only a partial joy. Let me give you a little bit of a trade secret. You know, as pastors, we, we read the pastor blogs and, the, and the, you know, we listen to the pastor podcasts. And, and the trends aren't great right now. Because of COVID, we're losing track of people. The, ch the church is really losing track of people. Now, it's sort of one of those weird moments of like preachy to the choir kind of thing because you're here and you're there online. Thank you for being here. But there's a whole lot of us that aren't here, not just because we have to cap it at 50 or less. There's a whole lot of people that we just aren't hearing from that are just doing their own thing. And again, we're seeing this in the statistics of engagement. How many are dialed in to services online or how many are coming in or how many are, are talking or, or, or being a part of the body right now? And the numbers aren't great. The numbers aren't great. There's just a whole group of the church that's just kind of MIA. 
So how much of the church is really walking around right now in just a partial joy? Again, thank you so much for being here this morning. Thank you, really, seriously. But it's so easy to be disconnected from the church right now. And we can kind of blame it on COVID. But Jesus prayed this thousands of years before there was COVID, knowing it was so easy to just disconnect, disconnect. So he prayed, Lord, may they be one. May they be one. And and, and in that way, have my joy made complete in them. The second thing Jesus prayed for, protection. He said, Father, protect them. Protect them from the evil one. Protect them from the evil one. Now, Simon's rule of, of reading about evil ones and satans and devils in the scriptures, there's, one, there's not a lot. There really is not a lot of, of mention of evil ones and Satan. And, but when, when there is, we should pay attention to it. Not over-focus, not really digging too much, but be attentive. Because when the Bible talks about Satan, demon, evil one, that kind of stuff, at least pay attention for the moment. But I'll tell you this, when Jesus prays about the influence of an evil one, that, that really perks my attention. When he prays, Lord, protect them from the evil one. That's his heart for us, that we'd be protected from the evil one. In other words, he, he, he thinks we're at, at some level at risk. We should pay attention to this call, this prayer that Jesus had to protect them from the evil one. See, there's so many ways right now that we can walk on just thinking we're good, that we think clearly, that we have our own sense of discernment. Maybe we walk around thinking, well, if I encountered evil, I, I would know it. I could smell it, you know. I just know. Would you, though? Jesus, is you're praying, Lord, protect them from the evil one. That's mirrored in the Lord's prayer, too. Lord, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. That's a, that's a consistent prayer that we pray, Lord, deliver. Because here's the thing. The evil one is always pursuing, always trying to trip up, always trying to discourage and isolate and separate. We need spiritual protection. We need it. We need spiritual protection. We need to be aware, not fearful, but we do need to be aware of the influence of the evil one. I don't, I don't watch a lot of television news. I, I read the news more than I watch. I do watch some highlights or lowlights. And I've just really noticed, and again, I worked in news for a while. Um, I just notice how angry the faces are on television news these days. There's, there's no pleasantry to it at all. It's, it's like two angry people or three or four, five, six angry people. Um, I, yeah. Protect them, he says, from the evil one. We need spiritual protection. Now, before we walk away in fear of like, oh, evil one really coming after. We, we do have to remember what he prayed before, that we are his. We are his. Just like I love and care for my family and I'm going to protect them, we are Jesus. We belong to him. And as such, we belong to God the Father. He loves us and he cares for us and he protects us because he does love us. Protect them from the evil one. Third thing Jesus prays, and this passage is so great. This verse is so great. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word, is, your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Now, sanctify, again, kind of a, a churchy word, a Bible word. Essentially, it means set apart or make holy. Consecrate them. Bless them. Set them apart and make them holy. Sanctify them. Finish the work of making them holy in your truth. Okay? 
That means the sanctifying work, that the, the making holy, comes from spending time in the truth. His word is true. In this prayer call, we hear that we are, as the church, to be distinct in the world. We're to be distinct, set apart, made holy. That is more and more unholy and broken. But how many of us in the church today walk around looking just like the world? We may think and react like the world. We might seek solutions that are not Christ-focused. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is true. See, we're called to be different, to think different, to not be guided by our gut or the angry faces on the, on the, on the news or what we see on social media, entertainment. We're called to think and be guided by God's holy story, his word. It's true. Jesus prays this, Lord, let them be in unity. Protect them from the evil one. Sanctify them in the truth. Now, here's what's really powerful. This is Jesus praying on our behalf. Every once in a while, when, you know, maybe a neighbor or something, I had this, this week, a neighbor, oh, you're a pastor, hey, would you pray about, you know, I'm like, well, I will pray, but I, I, just because I'm a, I'm a pastor doesn't mean I have magical power prayers. You, you can pray too. Like, I'll pray for you for sure. But just because... I'm a pastor. It doesn't mean I, I have a, a special, you know, gateway. You can pray. We can all pray. Jesus wants to hear from all of us. But when Jesus prays, you would think that's pretty powerful. Can you imagine Jesus praying? Wouldn't he get what he wants? Because he's praying, he's, he's, he's praying, and it's powerful because it rests on God's sovereignty, God's will, God's power, God's authority. Jesus is going to pray what God has put in his heart because he is God. And he's, he's praying these things. May they be one, protect them from evil, sanctify them in the truth. And, and he's drawing on the sovereignty, the power of God to make that happen. But it's not just, not just the sovereignty of God that's going to make those things occur. See, by God's design, our responsibility is not eliminated by God's sovereignty. What Jesus prays to God the Father, that's, that's powerful but he still gives us a responsibility to live into that prayer. Our Father has always given us some choice in fulfilling his will in our lives. Which again, takes it back to the Lord's Prayer. When we say, Lord, may your will be done. We're saying, Lord, may your will be done in me too. Like, let me be conceding to your will. Let me do your will. So we have God's sovereignty, and underneath that we have our responsibility to live into what God, what Jesus in this case is praying to God the Father, and in between that are the prayers. Jesus is praying, and there's power, there's authority, there's, 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 uh, there's um, sovereignty in that. But we have to live into that prayer. He gives us the choice. We need to live in that prayer. Very often in the Gospels, Jesus prays, you know, for example, uh, uh, Lord, uh, the, the harvest is white. Pray that the, the workers go out into the field, into the harvest. And then he turns to the disciples and he sends them out. Or, or there's 5,000 people to be fed. And, and yes, he's going to do a miracle. But he says, what, what kind of bread do you guys have? I'll take that. He involves us and our responsibility is to open ourselves to his will so that what his will is, that sovereignty works. 
There's God's sovereignty, our responsibility, and between that is the prayers. Going back to the ways that we can adapt, we can change, we can adopt new ways, new rhythms. Again, we look at physical health, the big three. You know, we adopted these pretty quickly. You know, we all learned to wash our hands a different way. We, we all learned to, to stay six feet back from, from people we don't, we don't connect with all the time, you know, neighbors, friends, coworkers. We've all, we've all, you know, gotten used to wearing the mask. It's sometimes uncomfortable. We do it. We do it because we know that that keeps us physically safe at this time. What about spiritually safe? What practices can we begin to adopt that would keep us spiritually safe? I'll recommend a big three to you right now. One is to stay in worship, attend worship. Good job. Check. You're already doing it right now. Good morning. But to be engaged in worship, to make attendance at church a priority, and that may be online, of course, that may be physically here, but to engage in worship, that's how we maintain unity. That's how we're one. This is the primary gathering spot for Hinsdale Covenant Church is the Sunday morning expression. And so to stay in unity is to make worship a priority, to say, I'll be there, I'll be attentive. And then also to be attending worship is to be here, be here in heart, to be engaged, to be dialed in to the prayers and the worship. Second thing is to be in fellowship. I know, again, we want to stay socially distant, physically distant. But one of the ways that we stay safe spiritually is in fellowship. As Jesus prays, protect them from the evil one. We need accountability for that. We need encouragement in that. And the last one is to be active in discipleship, growing, sanctifying, putting on God's word, understanding how do we live out faith in a world that so desperately needs truth. That's how we keep ourselves safe spiritually. We're going to talk more about this next week as we open up Vision Weekend, Vision Sunday ways that we can keep ourselves spiritually safe in a broken world. So I really want to invite you to come back in and make that a priority. And, and again, you're, you're doing great. You're already here. But maybe reach out to friends, neighbors, or, you know, members of the church that you haven't seen in a while and say, hey, how about we kind of engage in this together and look at opening, starting a group together, some way that you can grow. I want to conclude this time in a, in a moment of prayer as we set our hearts and the responsibility God's given us to live out of this great prayer that Jesus has for us. Let's pray. Together saying, Lord Jesus, we hear your prayer for us. You're calling us together to be one, just as you and the Father are one. Lord, let us have your joy made complete in us. Protect us from the schemes of the evil one. Remind us we do not belong to the world, but to you. Continue your work in us. Sanctify us in your word, which is truth. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior, our Lord, and our God. May your will be done. In your name we pray. Amen. We're now